Welcome to the P Primo Show. It is episode 90, and we are with Stu Heineke, the author of How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed. And it is a complete strategy for unstoppable growth. Let me do some commercials, and then we will get right into it. I'm going to pay the bills. If you haven't gotten my book, Sell a Million, what are you waiting for? 101 Tips, Strategies, and Tactics on how to sell another million. If you haven't joined my dear friends at the Mattress Industry Network Group, it is a free Facebook group that if you're in the mattress industry, you have to belong to. I want to thank Steve and the entire gang for the sponsorship of the Pete Primo Show by Mattress Industry Network. If you own a mattress store or a furniture store or you sell mattresses, or if you're just in the mattress industry, we want you in this group. This is the only group that I know that is run by retailers for the entire industry. If you want to learn how to sell mattresses, how to advertise mattresses, how to merchandise mattresses, the best um, uh, the best practices of of any mattress retailer would be found right here in the Mattress Industry Network Group. Use that QR code, scan scan it now, and tell them Pete Primo sent you. So thank you, Mattress Industry Network Group. You are doing great things for our industry. Over 1,600 strong. Let's hurry up and get to over 2,000 soon. And with without a further ado, let's introduce my guest. So whether you own a mattress store you sell mattresses or you're a sales rep. If you're a sales rep, get his book on how to get a meet in with anyone and how to grow your business like a weed, a complete strategy for unstoppable growth. Stu, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here live. <laughs> I'm so glad to join you. I'm so glad my camera works. Yeah, we finally got it to work. So I've been dying to ask you this question. I listened to the book on my drive home from Atlanta. I listened to it again. Uh, I loved it so much that I bought it. And what was the inspiration? It kept going through my mind because um, guys and gals out there, uh, each chapter starts with a little story and a picture about a weed and a little bit of information about it. And then how that translates to something in your business, very specific uh, strategies and tactics. Um, what was your inspiration? Well, you know, it's interesting. You asked a question about because you were you were driving down the freeway, and I don't know if they're called freeways in Atlanta, but anyway, the highway. And and uh, I'm sure you spotted what I did so many many years ago when I was driving the Santa Monica Freeway in Los Angeles. I was driving down the road, you know, down the freeway. Six lanes of traffic going one way, six coming the other way, and. In the middle, there's a 40-foot-wide concrete median, and there was a crack. Well, there's lots of cracks, and that's what concrete does. And there was a dandelion growing out of the crack in the concrete median. And as I whizzed by, I was thinking, well, you know, first of all, Pete, the thing is, we see those things all the time. And and uh, and it, does, it doesn't even phase us. We just, we drive right by. We don't, we don't even notice it. But this time I noticed it, and I thought, man, look at that little thing growing from the crack. And like, you know, that's... 
what a what a, sort of like what's in a what an unfortunate place to land and and start but it didn't care it was just running its process and it looked happy running you know with those yellow flowers and those those happy um, seed pods and they're blowing seeds around and it just it was just there running its process it didn't care that it landed in the middle of the freeway and that's where it was set up to make a living it was going to make the most of it and and uh, you know Yes, you could think, you could like, how did it get there? You could wonder. And then on the other hand, we know exactly how it got there. We, we, we see what dandelions, we've seen it our whole lives, that dandelions pop those seeds out and they fly around and they probe every possible opportunity to take root, which is probably a pretty good, a pretty good analogy or, or description of what entrepreneurs should be. We should be weeds. We should be very weed-like. And so I, I wondered as I was driving down the freeway and I noticed all that, I was just wondering, well, what is it about weeds that causes them to do that? Because, you know, there were no apple trees growing from the cracks in the concrete or oak or, or I don't know, petunias or anything like, anything like that. Because you know what? They couldn't make it as a weed. There are, there's something very special about weeds. And I wanted to find out, well, what is that? And do they have a, a unified model? And if they do, can we apply it to our businesses? And in fact, they do have a unified model. And I think it's not only applicable to businesses, but probably growing anything. One of my favorite parts of of the book, and it's not a one hit, you remind us again and again and again throughout the book, and that is weeds seek out unfair advantages. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I just was mentioning that they have the, uh, this unified model, this this thing that they all do. And and so here's what it is. They all leverage a fierce mindset and unfair advantages against collective scale. And they do it according to a process that is, well, it's millions of years old. It, it's, they showed up on earth probably 140 million year, years ago. So it's well honed. But, um, but on the other hand, it's a living process that is allowed or is able to, to uh, respond or activate uh, uh, just it it responds to to stimuli or or challenges and it evolves right around them and so there's some great stories of how they do that but that that's what they're doing so you asked about unfair advantages oh man we all need unfair advantages in business or we have no business being in business does that make sense yeah and so there are all, all kinds of things that can be unfair advantages and the, and the point is as business owners we need to cultivate a bunch of them so does that, I, I don't know if it makes sense or not. Maybe I should, should I explain? Maybe what, like what, what kind of unfair advantages are we talking about? Absolutely. Well, I would think that one, because your audience is in, in the mattress, retail mattress business is, I think I got that right. So I would say that, that one, one has got to be locations are, are, can be unfair advantages, right? I mean, that's that's everything in in retail is to, is to get the right, the right locations, the right foot traffic or uh, you know, just you want to be in the right spot, but um, but there are many others, and I think one of them, one of the one of the one source of of um, unfair advantages is um, is just the kinds of unfair advantages that you can bring to your customers or clients. I don't know if that I don't know if that I mean that that usually is said in a B two B setting, but um, and, and and you know businesses don't buy. Well, I guess they do. I, hotels buy them. <laughs> there, there are businesses that buy a lot of mattresses, but by and large, I think this is probably a retail sell. And uh, and so probably the the unfair advantages 
would be the, the perhaps the mattresses that you're selling and what what they do for the for the clients. But in business to business, that could be all kinds of things. I, I run an agency, and and we help um, we we help sales teams break through to their to their clients. So if I'm able to give them the ability to break through to virtually anyone, that's a big unfair advantage. And and so that gives me an unfair advantage because I'm able to do that uniquely. Um, and I, so there are a lot of different forms of unfair advantages, but the thing that we all ought to be aware of is that we need unfair advantages to be in business and to stick around. And knowledge of your competitors, that's an, that is starting to load up into an, an unfair advantage because if your competitors aren't shopping you and you're shopping them, it just tilted your way. That that knowledge is power and that can be used to create one of the greatest unfair advantages that any retailer can go for. And that is a superior buy-in experience. A buy-in experience that's different than any other retailer in your area. So shop your competition. And I know what you're saying right now. Pete, I've owned this store for 10 or 20 years. Everybody knows me. I can't walk. That's fine. You got a cousin, got a friend, you got somebody that can shop your competitors, have your competitors shop, find out what you can do to give your customer a superior customer experience. That becomes an unfair advantage. And usually the harder it is to duplicate, the more unfair of an advantage it becomes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I, I, that one of the messages that comes through loud and clear from, from weeds also is they never do anything alone, right? I mean, when you see a dandelion in your lawn, if you thought that, if you thought to yourself, oh, shoot, I have dandelion, I have a dandelion. <laughs> well, look up, you have lots of them. They're not, they don't show up alone. <laughs> they work as a, as a team. And, um, they collaborate, I guess, in a, in a way. And so, so for example, when you, just, when you see a dandelion in your lawn and, and you think, well, okay, gosh, I got a dandelion. You could just, if it was just one, you just yank it out of the ground, you're done. But, uh, but when you look up and see that, no, it's dozens, maybe hundreds out there, uh, and each of them is producing 15,000 seeds over their lifetimes, that's, you're not going to get rid of them. I mean, it's really difficult to get rid of them. It's really difficult to, let's say, compete with them for that ground. And, and so... Um, so I, so one of the things that I think that, that, um, that the weeds really would, if they could talk to us, would advise to us to do is to form a lot of collaborations. And I'm curious, Pete, how could maybe the, the, the people in your audience form collaborations that would, that would help propel their businesses? I mean, I know how to do it in a B2B setting. But I'm just kind of curious. Does that make sense in a in a retail setting? Yeah, it seems like it would. It absolutely makes sense, and that is, you know, you're you're alluding to the 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 power of networking, and ultimately the the ultimate power would be that of a mastermind. And so, the mattress industry network group is a great example. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about this morning that hey hey Steve, there's the the money man. Thank you for sponsoring my show. We were wondering show. if Steve was going to get here. Yep. <laughs> He's here. <laughs> Glad you're here, Steve. Hop in if you have any questions or anything to add. We always love your input. So um, when you look at the Mattress Industry Network Group, 
what it does for somebody that owns a store that may not be well networked in the mattress industry is it allows him or her to benefit from the years and years of experience of the members that are already in the group, right? So that, that collaboration with others and that networking with others really shortens the learning curve and it eliminates many costly mistakes. Something I saw that was fascinating in the Mattress Industry Network, somebody posted a little um, screenshot and they said, I'm not sure if this is a scam, but I wanted to see what you guys thought. And bigger than life, it's a scam. And the person that posted it was smart enough to put it up there and let his teammates in the Mattress Industry Network all kind of vote and everybody scam, 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 scam. They're like, I've seen this. I've seen this. I've seen this. And now a few others are like, Hey, thanks for asking this question because I got something like this too. And, and I was afraid to post. And so here you go. You don't have to make that mistake. So one of the things that I really want to dive into, and by the way, anytime you want to talk B2B, feel free to talk B2B because one of uh, one of the things that's happened with my podcast is I attract as many reps as I do business owners. So I have this, what I would call a secondary market that's almost like a primary market. So anytime you you want to jump in with anything B2B, uh, I keep thinking about my brother's sales reps and um, I just ordered your, your book and I'm listening to it on tape right now, um, how to get a meeting with anybody with anyone. And that is unbelievably great. Uh, I'm buying that as a book too, in addition to buying it on Audible. But something I wanted to touch on, Stu, you know, me and you had a little bit of correspondence before this. And of course, we met in Atlanta, uh, thanks to uh, Chris Stone introducing us. I, I didn't want this to get away from us because I think it's really important. Um, Everybody has a different take of where we are now as a country and what the economy's doing. Certainly, the doors to our retailers are not swinging as frequently as they were. Uh, whether we're in a recession, heading towards a bigger recession, heading towards a potential depression, wh- whatever labels you want to put on it, to me, it doesn't even matter. I've been through, I started in business in 1982 when I was still in college. My senior year in college, I started selling furniture at at, at a furniture store um, in my spare time, which I had very little of. But we were in the middle of a 16 or 18 month uh, recession then. And this will be number six. And I can tell you that when I go back and I look, um, I've always been smart enough to figure things out, but not smart enough to dwell on things too much. And this thing that you said to me is huge. And that is fierce mindset. Weeds have a fierce mindset. I think that's going to be so important walking into what we're walking into and, and how, uh, what resources we bring to bear. And, and I'm just going to tell everybody right now, anyone listening, if you don't get this book you and you own a mattress store or a furniture store, 
you are absolutely nuts. Or get on Stu's website, um, how to grow your business like a weed. We, we, if we tried desperately, me and Stu, for the, for the next 45 minutes to cover everything in this book, we, we couldn't cover 10 or 20% of it. And we couldn't do it justice. So we're just giving you some like overviews and highlights, but this is something that you have to do. If you own a store, get in this book, applying the principles and take it one step further, get on this website. What is the, uh, the address for the website, Stu? Go to stuheineck.com. That's, that's easy enough to get to. Hey, but you know, Pete, the thing is, um, we were talking about unfair advantages um, a, a moment ago and a, and a little bit about collaboration. And, um, you know, I, I I would love to explore this with you further because, um, for example, I, I guess I have, I have a lot of competitors, people who also run agencies or services to help sales teams break through to their top accounts. I mean, I do that based on, on the things that I do with how to get a meeting with anyone. Um, that's my agency business. I'm also an author. And so I've got other authors out there who I guess are competitors, but I don't really see them that way. They're, 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 they're potential collaborators to me. And so, um, in fact, I'm busy by following weed strategy right now in my business. I'm really busy setting up a lot of collaborations between myself and a lot of the sales thought leaders and authors out there. Um, and, and we're talking about doing things like setting up growth summits. So th- these 10-seat growth summits anywhere in the world. It could be in Dubai or in Key West or Bora Bora. But we'll sit down and we'll brainstorm how to, well, how to create these, these unfair advantages, how to create these, these collaborations that br- greatly broaden your, your footprint in the market. But I think, I think that's sort of the bottom line here, Pete, is that weeds actually thrive during or, or in dis- most in disrupted ground, if that makes any sense. But you know, our yards are disrupted ground. Farmland is disrupted ground. We're all we people. We're always disrupting the ground, and the weeds are always ready. They're perfectly evolved to move in quickly and take it over. And so, that so if we're following weed strategy, I have a feeling that weed strategy will actually help us perhaps thrive during during recessions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, one of uh, my all of my biggest deals all came uh, from other reps. They were they were leads. Wow. So look at that. Uh, I help other reps. Other reps help me. Uh, we talk to each other and we support each other. Sometimes very specifically with information about accounts. Most of the time, just ideas. Hey, where are we heading? Uh, what do you see in the, in the next six months, in the next year? And how, what is your approach for it? Which anyone who knows me knows what my approach is going to be. I'll put my head down and, <laughs> and I'm going to go to work. And, and uh, listen, the only thing I watch on TV, and this will make people laugh, I watch UFOs and Big, Bigfoot shows. I don't watch any news. I, I don't need to poison myself. Um, I don't care. It, it, you know, when when the this is all over and done, I'm going out on my shield selling mattresses. Guy Danes in South Africa, 
please. Ha, ha, ha. Thanks. Guy, how are you? Thank you for being here and thank you for being a great supporter and a former guest on our show. Appreciate your insight always. And if you have any questions for Stu Guy, you might just win a book. So, oh, here you go. Look at you. Oh, excellent. Yes, for sure. Now now I got to try to send another book to you, Guy. This is, I'm going to send it to somebody else and uh, maybe they can get it to you. Maybe Amazon could get it to you. Unfair advantages, just learn Two new words, a key to focus with the team in a brainstorming session. Thanks, Stu. Well, yeah, I got to tell you, you know, it's really interesting when I run when I run um, roundtables, for example, with business owners, and I ask them, "So, what are your unfair advantages?" They're well, they'll say things like, "Well, we give great service," but man, that's not enough. You need to be able to say things that others can't match. So, I don't know. But can I can I give you an example in my own business because it might help. Does that make sense, Pete? So, so, um, well, in the book, I mentioned that I'm going to start the Total Weed Award. And so that's, that's going to be an award to recognize particularly weed-like spread and, and growth among entrepreneurs and startups and um, VCs and, and other, business, other sorts of business owners and so on. Um, it's going to be an annual award. And, and so I promised in the book that I would set it up. And so if you'll notice... The the person who wrote the foreword, the contributor of the foreword, is Nicola Corzine, who is the executive director of the Nasdaq Entrepreneurial Center. I was that was a coup. I was so lucky to have her words in my in my book. Well, I, I reached out to her afterward and I said, Nicola, you know, um, I promised that I would start this award up, and and I'm just wondering, could could this become? Would, would you like the Nasdaq Entrepreneurial Center to be the home of the award? Could we partner on that? Could we collaborate on this? And and she said, wow, yeah, we could. And that, that would be fantastic. And I said, you know, we can sell sponsorship against it. And all of the, whatever we sell, just 100% goes to the center. So, I mean, I don't need to make, I don't need the money from, from the, um, uh, from from the sponsorship, so let's let's turn it into a fundraiser for the center. She's saying you would do that. Yes, I would. Yeah, I would be honored to do this. And so we're, we have this sort of quantum engagement together. We're putting together the the Total Weed Awards. It'll be every year. First thing we're doing is we're, see, we're seeking out um, media partners. So I, we're talking about Nasdaq here. So Nasdaq already has partnerships with with all the big business media outlets. Anyways, this, I don't think this is going to be hard. <laughs> And so suddenly there's this there will be this annual award every spring, the Total Weed Award, supported by I don't know who, CNBC or the Wall Street Journal or Inc. or someone like that. Um, and um, and God, what a so if you think about it, there's a huge unfair advantage here for my book, right? Because the book is the source of the of, of everything about the Total Weed Award. That's that is something that well, I don't know who's gonna match that. How will you match that? Right, so that's a real unfair advantage, or you know, in my in my agency business, I'm I'm also one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists, and I use cartoons to help sales teams break through to their top accounts. So I have an image bank of 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 fifteen hundred cartoons. They're all personalized. Nothing else li- like it exists in the world. Um, I have test history that goes way back and extensive, extensive tri- test history with the use of cartoons and personalization in marketing, period. And no one can match it. And, th- and if you try to just, if you try to circumvent it, you'll just make a lot of the mistakes that we made a long time ago 
or you can work with me. We can just dispense with those mistakes. So those are real unfair advantages. You can't, my competitors can't match those. They can come up with something else, but nobody's going to come in and, and beat me at that game. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. So collaboration in and of itself isn't an unfair advantage, but it is. Yeah, it, it definitely becomes, is. It becomes an unfair advantage dependent on what the fruit of the collaboration is. And it's this, this idea, you know, there's a, there's a really deep human need to share. And, uh, when you do that, when you are open to it, and it feels a little, depending on your background, it feels a little risky and a little daring at times, right? You don't know who to trust, right? And, you know, we've all been burned, we've all been hurt, yada, yada, yada. But one of the most interesting things, when you look at some of the most uh, successful businesses, there was a point in time where somebody had to collaborate with somebody else or it never would have survived. The, the, the enterprise would not have thrived. It wouldn't have gone forward. They came to a brick wall and that brick wall became the, the place where they decided, I've got to look around and I've got to get some collaboration. I've got to get some buy-in from somebody else who has different skill sets than me. Here's one thing I'd like to share with all business owners. Anything that you, any experience, any skill, anything that can be done for your business that you can job out and not have to do it yourself without breaking the bank, do it. Now, we all, all start bootstrapping. We all start doing every cotton picking little thing, right? But we sooner or later, we have to use leverage. And leverage is an unfair advantage. And leveraging other people's experiences and leveraging their expertise is a great way to, to be weed-like because yeah. weeds seek those advantages. Well, yeah, we are, we, we, uh, well, you just, I think you just hit the nail on the head here because, um, as entrepreneurs, we, we tend, we have to do everything. We have to know, we have to understand everything in our business. We built the thing from the ground up. So you got to know everything. And, and then there's a tendency to just do it all. And, and so if you do that, and in fact, if you find that you're somehow in the deliverable stream, uh, of your business, if, if you're, I don't know, if you're helping to deliver the mattresses, I hope not. But, um, but if you're somehow tied to the production, or you're in the middle of the production stream of your business, then you're probably in the way of of scaling it. Um, again, we're talking about very different kinds of businesses here. But if I would, if we, if we look at um, my agency business for a moment, I'm sort of, the, I'm the chief creative officer for for my agency, and so. Or I shouldn't even say that. I'm just the creative director of my agency, but um, but that means that I'm I'm involved in all of the creative, and that is a problem. I need to get out of that. And so, having having read, or I should say, written the book and then read it over over and over for editing, I'm saying, oh my god, I'm making a lot of mistakes here. And one of those is I'm just I'm toiling under one to one leverage. You don't create, you don't scale anything that way. And so, um, so that has led me to productize a lot of what I do, a lot of, a lot of what I've been creating just sort of 
on on a project to project basis. I'm productizing it. I'm moving it out to to much larger sales channels. Um, and and I, and as I mentioned before, I'm creating a lot of collaborations, and those are a lot of fun. Those are really cool. I'm, I'm just exploring it as a, as I'm going right now. But we need to find a lot of ways to to collaborate. And when we do that, um, your competitors aren't so much competitors anymore. They're, you're helping each other. You're actually you're actually contributing to each other's businesses, which is a, a much better way to go than than to do it all all on your own on under one to one leverage. Hoping to, I mean, that doesn't work during good times. So during tough times, it just makes sense to to follow the basically what the weeds are showing us. Yeah, hundred percent leverage in other people's knowledge, other people's skills, other people's connections. Yeah, um, yeah, boy, I, 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 I've got a story, and I'm not going to tell it, but it's called the million dollar ice cream cone. And I, I said to one of my accounts who led me to my biggest account that I ever had, I said, Scooter, when did you decide that you loved me? And he said, I decided that I loved you when you bought me ice cream. And he became involved with a very large account and he brought me along. And uh, <laughs> it's a long story. I can't get into it, but I will tell you this. As a rep or a store owner, leverage every relationship. You don't know who knows who and collaborate as much as you can. Become active within your community. You should do it to say thank you. You should do it because they're supporting you and you want to support them. But as a business strategy, it is a sound one and it is one that we all need to be involved with. And, and just one quick thing, and I have some more questions for you, Stu. Um, you have been leery as a mattress store owner or furniture store owner to get involved with other businesses. And you need to now get a piece of blank paper out, write down all the businesses within 10 miles of you and ask yourself, do we share an audience? Do we share any demographics? What do we share? And could we put a coupon in each other's stores to drive traffic to each other's store for practically free? That's something that we should be doing. Um, so I am amazed about, about a few things about this book, but the one thing that really... Um, that that really got me going was when you were talking about the amount of seeds. I never understood. I never studied this. I mean, I took biology, but I mean, the whole thing escaped me. When you have marketing like a weed that spreads, you want to talk about an unfair advantage. That's an uh, that's an unfair advantage, and that's something that you talk about in your book. And I just thought. Man, is that good? Yeah, when you when you see what weeds do, um, and again, the, the familiar example is the dandelion, and and they pop out. They live five, five to ten years, and they pop out an average of fifteen thousand seeds per plant. But of course, there's hundreds of them out there, you know. Which is so 
that's a heck of a multiplier. And 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 those seeds are highly mobile in it. And and they, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, they they probe every possible opportunity to take root. That's why they take root. Oh my God, I've had them take root in our gutter, our, our roof gutter, and um, on the tops of walls, all, all over the place. But they just they probe every possible opportunity to take uh, to take root. So I think the analogy here is if seeds and there's seed strategy and seed pod strategy. There's a whole there's eight levels of 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 uh, weed strategy within the book. So seed strategy though seeds are are analogous to anything that causes people to become aware of us and form the intent to to transact with us in some way. And so so you know we we want to spread a lot of seeds. We want those seeds to be mobile. I think the analogy are the that's analogous to stories and or and, and other elements that cause people to talk about us and spread the word about us obviously in a positive way but um uh, but they spread the word about us and people hear about us and they can't uh, they they can't wait to, to like they've got to dive in they got to find out how can i do business with you or how can i find out more i i, I find this really interesting and so I, i'm sure there are a lot of people in the audience who are doing very very interesting things with mattresses that i don't you know that we wouldn't expect, or they have great, great backstories. How they, I don't know how they got started. Maybe even more importantly, what are they doing in their communities that are that are causing people just to to improve to improve people's lives, perhaps? But there, there've got to be some great stories out there, and those stories are a great example of a form of seed that will that that will be highly mobile and be passed along and and uh, cause people to. Create that that impression, or I should say, cause people to form that that intention to do something with you, to transact with you in some way. Yeah, one of the most interesting chapters I thought was your segmentation strategy. Um, I I just I'm like, he's talking about the mattress industry here. Oh, interesting. Because you can't, as a mattress retailer, you can't go after all of it. There's not enough slots in your store, so. Are you going after the middle? Are you going after the the promotional? Or are you going after the 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 top? Where are you going? How does someone get a signed copy of the new book? Uh, they ask a really good question, Steve. That makes <laughs> me and Stu go. That's a good question. I better sign a book for one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll pay for the book if if my friend Stu will be so kind. Oh, I'm as happy to, to sign to yeah. sign it. Absolutely. Good question, Steve. <laughs> so anybody that wants a signed copy, jump in with a good question and you might just get a signed copy of, of the book. Uh, Guy, supreme confidence and wisdom in our conversation tonight. Excellent. Supreme confidence and wisdom in our conversation tonight. Excellent. Is there something else that goes with that, Guy? I love this show. <laughs> <laughs> we love you too. We love you too. So, so we were talking about segmentation strategy yeah, yeah. and, you know, weeds um, are able to segment and we as business owners should be segmenting. And sometimes where we thought our business was going to go, it ends up going in a different place because we listen to what our customers want and we end up taking it to another place, a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, depending on what our customers are saying to us and what they're asking for. Um, 
Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the thing is, I well, segmentation. Let's let's talk about what it is first of all. When you grab a weed, some weeds, if you grab them and you're trying to pull them out, you'll notice that you get a handful of, let's say, some leaves, but the whole thing, like you're not going to get the weed out that way, or it'll break off at the at the at the root. But they're designed into to break off in segments so that. It it mitigates risk and, and damage. So that's that's what I was talking about. How can we do that in our businesses when we're disrupted? Like, weeds are the great disruptors, and one of the great forces of disruption in in nature. But sometimes they deal with well, I should say they deal with disruption. They they deal with being disrupted all the time. And so so segmentation strategies about those those defensive strategies that help the weeds in in nature, but us in business. To, to mitigate damage and and perhaps to, to help us um, pivot in a way. And I'm, you know what I'm curious about, Pete, is we just came, or actually we're heading into a recession, but we just came out of a, a pandemic, I guess. Maybe we're not even done with it. But, yeah. but you know, I, I'm curious, how did the pandemic affect the mattress industry? And, and, um, and what were people doing in the, in the mattress industry to, uh, to, um, to pivot and, and counteract that? How did the ones that, yeah. I should say? How did the ones who thrived during the pandemic? What did they do? Wow, a lot of great questions there. So, um, overall, just broad strokes, and anybody can jump in here. It was great for our industry, um, and I say that um, it could have been better. But what actually happened is we got overwhelmed, uh, and it. I guess what 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 happened is people got stuck in their homes. They realized that they needed a new mattress, and uh, as soon as they were able to go out and get a new mattress, they did. And what we ended up with was supply problems, oh. huge supply problems. Wow. Interesting. We could not make enough springs. We could not buy enough foam. We could get not get enough fabric or non wovens to make as many mattresses. I, if, if I could have shipped half of what I wrote, uh, I would have been overjoyed and I was. Uh, so I thought it was going to be the worst of times and it was the best of times for our industry specifically. Um, that led, there were some unfortunate things that happened about the same time. Uh, there was a, a chemical plant that got frozen in Texas and Louisiana. And one of the chemicals that's used to make foam was not abundant and it became a real Achilles heel just prior to and during that time. So now basically what you're finding is deliveries and the supply interruptions are much less. They're pretty close to being all the way back to normal. Uh, normal for us as an industry was one week delivery. And most of us are at one and two week deliveries right now. Um, but now business has slowed down quite a bit. Most of the retailers are, are not happy with the amount of traffic they're getting. A few are. A few of the really good ones are. And to your second or third question, uh, what were the lessons and, you know, who did really well? I guess the lesson was um, 
that you can't be married to your old way of doing business, just having your door open. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our dealers uh, ad- adapted a strategy of working by appointment and uh, they they worked by appointment. Only one customer was allowed in the store at a time to try to, you know, um, I, I think that as a general rule, all of my retailers uh, were reaching out to the public and letting them know, listen, we have masks here. If you don't have a mask, we have hand sanitizer and we're cleaning our stores on a regular basis. We're doing everything we can to provide you a safe environment. Um, and uh, the other thing that the successful retailers did better than the average retailers is they managed the customer's expectations. And they basically got really good at saying, you know, delivery times are unpredictable now. We used to be able to tell you it's going to come in a week, but it, it, whatever I tell you could be wrong. I'm going to say four to six weeks. It could be eight weeks. Just try to be as patient as you can. It's unpredictable times, as you well know. And they started to point to their mask. At, you know, like, we're all in this thing together. And I think that's what the better retailers did that... Um, that came out of it um, with the most uh, uh, the most business that they could have gotten, and, and more importantly, they uh, kind of stood up in their community and uh, did not give back any of their market share to other retailers because that's what can happen uh, with a big disruption like a pandemic. If you just completely panic and you shutter your doors completely and don't allow and, and basically send your customers to another retailer, yeah. if that other retailer treats them well, now you've got a really big problem because now you have to try to win them back from that other retailer. Yeah. So yeah. there was a real fine line between showing sensitivity towards people and everybody had a different attitude right Stu uh, everybody had a different attitude uh, towards it and and you had to be mindful of all c- customers and and all of those different uh, people that had different um, viewpoints on it and to let them know that they're all welcome and we're gonna protect all of you and we're gonna provide the best service that we can for you while keeping you safe and I, I think that's what happened. I wish one of my retailers would jump in here and say yeah. because I'm saying the same thing <laughs> 10 times. One thing that I, I think would be really interesting, I because I, I don't know it, is is what prompts people generally, prompts people to say, I need a new mattress right now. Instead I can of like, tell you, I, you know, maybe in the next few years I'll get one. I can uh, tell you right now. So anybody that's been listening to the show? Yeah. <laughs> And you don't know this, <laughs> number one, shame on you because you should know this by now. But number two, um, this was worth the price of admission. So the levers that make purchases happen are a few things. Uh, sadly, divorces, they don't want anything to do with the old mattress because their ex slept on it. I want a new mattress. Mm-hmm. Uh vacations. Um, those of us who are fortunate enough to take, take vacations every year, we're blessed. 
a lot of people don't take vacations every year. And when they finally take a vacation away and they go to a hotel with a good mattress and they come back to the old mattress, they've noticed that gradually over years and years and years, their mattress has lost support and comfort and now they're not happy with it. So vacations, uh, divorces, and moving. That was one of the ones I was wondering about because I'm wondering do if, uh, I mean, if I was, so I'm not in the mattress, obviously I'm not in the mattress business. I'd be starting from square one if I, if I said, I'm going to go into the mattress business right now. But I think one of the things I would, I'd be curious about is what kind of, I, I mentioned collaboration. I'm still a total weed though, right? So one of the collaborations or one of the sources of collaborations I think I would seek out are um, with, with real estate agents. So when, you know, when someone, when someone moves in, when they sell a house, man, they ought to be doing something almost, maybe even as a housewarming, I don't know that they buy a mattress for them, but maybe here's a coupon at one, or I want to, you know, if you want to get a new, a new, um, a new bed, new mattress, I want to, I want to send you somewhere because you just got a new house. This is the perfect time to get a new, a new bed to sleep in. And, and, um, so I would think that they would, Ordinarily, they'd be great sources for collaborations. And does that make sense at all? I wonder if um, if that's happening now. It's probably like a big duh. Of course we do that. I don't know, but that, I no, would certainly be looking for that. I, I, I would tell you that some enterprising uh, mattress retailers do collaborations with, with real estate agents, but many of them don't. Um, some of the bigger guys uh, who are on the regular lookout for new stores receive great intel. You talk about competitive intel, the real estate, I'm talking about commercial real estate agents now. Uh, just yeah, yeah. Slight, slight twist off yep. of what you're saying. Yep. Uh, commercial real estate agents uh, usually know what's happening for the next year to two years in, in a market. And they you know, they're, they're looking for other. So the, the early warning sign of a major competitor coming in, that bell is going to be sounded by a commercial real estate agent. And if you don't have relationships with commercial real, uh, real estate agents, you really should just so you know what competitors are doing before they do it. So, well, you might also get introductions that way. I mean, they, they sell hotels. Oh yeah, right. They, they sell they sell buildings with beds in them, and so even even just the right introductions could could be a big sale. Um, yeah. and I, you know, another question I have is: sorry, I know this is your show; you should be asking another look, but but I'm just curious. Um, there's a trick that that car dealerships use. Um, they use geofencing to um, to run ads to people who've just wa- they they draw a little geofence around their competitors' shops or stores, whatever you want to call them, the dealerships. And when someone walks in there, they've triggered they've they've triggered the the geofence and they start running ads to them. So, I does that make sense? So let's say you go into a, a car dealership, um, and then all of a sudden, you know. But you did, but you walked out. Maybe you didn't buy the car then. So then you start getting ads from other, I would say, really smart car dealerships who are saying, "Hey, um, I, I don't know what they'd be saying. I don't know what their ads would say. But basically, come on down to our shop. If you're if you're shopping for a car, come on down to our shop." So I wonder, does that? 
I wonder if that holds any water. I wonder if I wonder if anybody in the mattress business is using geofencing to um <laughs> well <laughs> I don't know. It is it is rather weed like and aggr- aggressive, but it's very aggressive and it's very weed like, and it is used uh, sparingly in our industry. Not a lot of guys do it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, if if you're using Google, um, you should be going after that demographic because you can do- target your demographic uh, before you have to geofence them, right? Well, there is so, that, yeah, but 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 it's also a trigger event, and oh yeah, um, and that, it is. that would be an unfair advantage, actually. Yeah, think about yep. that. Yep, that'd be amazing. Gee, I like that. I like that, and, and so, yes, some guys do it, but not not very many. Uh, less than ten percent actually, Stu. Yeah. Well, you know, you you did ask a while ago. You asked about about segmentation, and I think one one of the industries that's really in- interesting is um. Is is the restaurant industry? So they, you know, usually in in, in recessions, um, you know, people may not go out as often, but they still eat. They eat at three meal, three meals a day as as long as they can afford to do it, and then they'll go out and they'll spend money on on food. And and so restaurants typically don't seem. I mean, they go down a little bit, but they don't they don't go out. It's usually one of those industries that's thought of as as perhaps a little bit recession proof like gyms and both of those industries got clobbered during the recent or during during the, the pandemic people didn't want to go into a crowded gym and work out either it was unhealthy to do that suddenly and so but but the in the restaurant industry we saw some we saw restaurant a lot of restaurants just go out of business but we saw some that well they already they, they already had maintained a, a list of um, an, an email list of all of their customers, so they were able to correspond with them very quickly. And 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 um, when people stopped coming to restaurants to eat in a in a dining room, they would sh- they would shift to um, to takeout or or other kinds of models. But they they'd shift, and they were able to take their their customers along with them. And those some of those restaurants really thrived. And so that was certainly a segmentation strategy. And that's those are the kinds of strategies that we want to, of course, set up in our own businesses. And I would think in, in the, gosh, in the mattress business, I don't know how often people buy mattresses. I mean, I would think that consumers don't buy them very often. And so, um, so I would, I don't know, Pete, help me out. Do, do does it make sense to also, to, to also um, concentrate on, on commercial accounts? Or is that a is that a, a valid shift, for example, during a during a, a recession? Um, boy, that's a good question. So the buy-in cycle, uh, we we like to say it should be seven to eight years, but it's not. I used to say it's fifteen years. If if I was a betting man, and I'm not, I would bet you it's. 10 to 12 years. That's the real mattress uh, cycle. Um, the problem with retailers going after hotel businesses are in competition with the same manufacturers that they buy from. Mm-hmm. Most, most manufacturers have a, an arm uh, a, uh, that go either a rep or a team, uh, a rep or a team of reps that go after uh, contract commercial business. So that's, um, but it's not a reach. It's so there are a lot of different, listen, years and years ago, 
one of my customers came to me with an idea and he asked me, do you think it's going to work? And I said, it'll either be really big or it'll be a flop. Well, it was really big. And what it was, was fundraising with mattresses and schools. And what happened is his daughter came and said, will you buy this, you know, chocolate bar for $2 that should be 50 cents? And he's like, sure. And then he's thinking to himself, well, how many chocolate bars do they have to sell? If they just sold one mattress, they'd be money ahead. So he came up with this idea based on chocolate bars to sell mattresses. And he actually ended up selling that business uh, years later. And, and now uh, I believe that he's uh, retired and uh, he's, uh, you know, he came up with something completely different that was actually, you want to talk about disruptive. None of the retailers could figure out what he was doing. He's bringing mattresses into a gymnasium for an afternoon or for two afternoons on a weekend, selling the mattresses and giving money back to the band or to football team or to whatever sports team they were sponsoring. Um, So that was an you know, one of those disruptive moments in, in yeah. our industry. Well, that's, that is, I love that story. Of course, of course, I've never heard that story. I love that story. And that's a great example of, I don't know that he was doing it during a recession. I don't know what, what the timing was, but, but what a great, uh, what a great segmentation strategy to bring, um, bring mattresses into fundraising. I mean, who would ever even think of that? Right. And so that that became his unfair advantage. That's exactly what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Well, that's like what I'm talking about with the weed strategy anyway. He was being a total weed. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> that's well, the kind of that, stuff I'm talking about. I think because if we just do everything that we've always done, or even worse, if you then start pulling back on marketing and every entrepreneur, every business owner seems to do that. Um, most do, and um, and they leave themselves wide open to takeovers by others who are just they're they're going to be the disruptors in the the new disruptors in the market and take over market share during these times of, of recession. The thing about recessions is that I, I we know that there are some people who always thrive or often thrive during recessions. Certainly, we know that there are people who thrive during recessions, and and I've just. I'm just left with that impression of of weeds that that um, that they thrive, they just they absolutely thrive in disrupted ground. And I think that it's possible not only to thrive during recessions, but if you're able to do that, then think about all of the all of the just the ways that you can get ahead in your marketplace um, because you're buying things at a discount because everything, you know the. Property. If we're buying property, property is a lot less expensive. Everything's less expensive because everyone's having a hard time selling whatever they're selling. So if you're able to thrive during a recession, man, what a huge advantage! That doesn't just it doesn't just pay out during the recession, but pays out com- just forever, really, because you've thrived during a recession. You notched up uh, or you ratcheted up your your position during a recession, and now when 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 times get uh, get better, then you're you're in this new position. You're in this new dominant position. And so I just think it makes a lot of sense to do things like what you just described, that just tying into 
to um, I think that's something you should sh- share a lot more with actually with your audience how the how that mattress seller did that what the model was because that's exactly the kind of stuff you need to start applying during recessions. Oh, and there's Let's, one of my cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that a little bit. So one of the things, you are a Wall Street, uh, you you work for the Wall Street Journal as a cartoonist. And so that provides you uh, a weed-like advantage in and of itself. But what you do with your cartoons and how you use them in business really becomes super unfair yeah well that's true yeah um so and i know this is just going to be absolutely confusing for the audience like wait a minute we were talking about weeds and growth cartooning now but um but it it all sort of ties in because i use cartoons in marketing and um and i use them because they're their readership surveys have been showing forever that they're almost always the best read and remembered parts of magazines and newspapers. They get a lot of attention. And, and when you then personalize them and target them properly, well, I know from my test experience, I've got a lot of it that, uh, that you can set all kinds of records for response. So, um, you might wonder, well, where on earth is all this coming from? And so when I, when I was, when I, graduated college I, I graduated with a, with a marketing degree and then, but I was also a cartoonist I was also getting published as a cartoonist in the LA papers and um, and I was a member of the cartoonist guild and they sent an article from folio magazine talking about those readership surveys and how cartoons are almost always the best read and remembered parts of whatever they're in and I thought I've got to combine them and I want to wanted to create direct mail for the big uh, magazine publishers. That was my goal. I just wanted to, I wanted to create for Time Inc. and, and Condé Nast and the Wall Street Journal and Forbes and so on. And so um, I tested it. And uh, I, I mean, I got a, I, I got two initial campaigns for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit. So I created mailings for them. I used a personalized cartoon on the outer envelope and that, that sort of drew them all the way through. And, um, and, and they, um, we're seeing there some of them go. now, right but those things ended up breaking all kinds of records in in their um, in their campaigns. So, so in other words, we'd send something like that out. People just they loved them and they they responded to them, and that's what oh, it's so distracting to see them too. <laughs> but um, but it it created a huge unfair advantage, and I realized early on that I was able to create an unfair advantage for my for my marketing clients by, by using the cartoons. So you can see how this works. I mean, cartoons, they're using cartoons in the proper way, but using all sorts, using uh, mattresses during, or I mean, in, in, um, in fundraising activities also is an unfair advantage. They could come out of, they can come from anywhere. And, and so certainly I was using the cartoons that way. Um, I ended up with all of the big magazine publishers as clients, uh, and I ended up creating a lot of record-breaking campaigns for them. So that left me with this unmatched body of test history as well. I mean, I, I, there's nobody in the world who has more test experience with using personalized cartoons in marketing campaigns than me because of that, because I was the beneficiary of all those campaigns for all those big uh, direct marketers. Um, so. Uh, yeah, cartoons. I mean, when I send someone a cartoon um, and it's about them, I get through. And that's an unfair advantage. So there are lots of them. According to the weeds, 
the quickest way to scale is to form alliances. Yeah. And so as, as we're getting to the end of our, of our show, if somebody reads this book, how to grow their business like a weed and they go, man, I want, I'm all in. I am all in. I want to make this thing happen. What, what's their next step? If they want to go faster and they want to tap into your knowledge base and what you're doing around this, uh, how do they go faster? Can you help them go faster? I mean, I, well, I mean, uh, I, I think probably the quickest way to do it, and about it, but I'm not here to sell. I'm just here to contribute. But, but to answer your question, probably the quickest way to do that would be for us to sit down and work together in a consulting uh, um, engagement and figure out what it is that we can do to come up with these unfair advantages. And then by having those unfair advantages, we end up, uh, you could see that with my, with my own business, uh, I have these really unique things about my business. And so that it makes it much easier for me to create these, these collaborations as well. But I would be working with, with, um, with you to figure out what your unfair advantages are, what kind of unfair advantages you can cultivate, and then all, all kinds of, uh, of get really busy with, with all kinds of, of um, collaborations and and start broadening the the footprint of your business that way and that's that's where we that's where we would go that's the sort of the complicated answer the simple answer is get the book and and read through it and i think it'll prompt a lot of ideas so get the book and then go to stuheineke.com and get in touch with Stu because you're going to need to grow your business like a weed in the next uh, few months. And it's a complete strategy for unstoppable growth in less than ideal conditions. I think that's the key to weeds. They don't require perfect conditions. They thrive in imperfect conditions. They thrive no matter what. And I would say, so it's not just, it's not just during recessions. It's just that we're heading into a recession and, and oh my gosh, the realization that they thrive in, in disrupted ground is not lost, but they do it no matter what, whatever is happening out there. It's just they they just deal with it. So uh, we're heading into some tough times, I, I guess. I hope not. You know, really for everyone's sake, I hope not. But that that's what the signals say. And so during those times, you want to be ready for that. And and I think weed strategy helps us do that in a big way. Stu, thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for sharing. Uh, your your knowledge with us. And one of the things that I found the most enlightening about this uh, whole show that we did was your natural curiosity about other businesses. I think that's a special quality that helps you to mentor businesses. When you're truly curious, like you really want to know and I think that's special. And we don't see that every day uh, with all of our guests. So thank you very much for being here. And thank you for being curious about how to help, it, how to help other businesses and what you can do to help them. And uh, let's, uh, let's get together soon. And uh, I have a sneaking suspicion I'm going to be calling you with uh, a few books that we need to sign for a couple of our guys that were in here. So 
Thank you so much, Stu. Oh, you're welcome. And you should also have a sneaking suspicion that I might uh, say, Pete, let's figure out how we can collaborate because I'm sure we can. Absolutely. You bet. Thanks, Steve.